Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Gillian Tabor. For those of you that don't know me, I'll just quickly introduce myself. I am a physiotherapist, but I specialise in the treatment and the rehabilitation of horses. And um, I also teach at Hartbury University and I teach physiotherapy and included in that is anatomy, biomechanics, uh, a little bit of welfare and behaviour and then of course our treatment and rehab techniques. So this topic is something that I spend a fair amount of time talking about. I've also been involved in research uh, on the topic and am still studying the area in great depth and wanting to explore and expand our knowledge. So this topic, core stability in horses, it's something that is a term, it's a phrase that's used really, really frequently. You hear it discussed in both professional and in sort of amateur lay owners in terms of thinking about trying to improve the core stability of your horse. Uh, And it's generally related to trying to maintain the health of your horse's back, especially, you know, if they're working hard. We want to avoid back pain. We want to avoid pathologies such as kissing spines and, um, you know, arthritis between the vertebrae. So the idea that if we have good core stability, we're going to reduce the risk of injury to the horse's spine is is something that I think most of you will be familiar with. But I just wanted to expand a little bit on the topic. 
uh, perhaps to bust a few myths and perhaps to also help you think more critically about it in terms of just trying to understand what we really mean about the core, what we are really talking about when we refer to stability and then introduce the idea of uh, what we need to do about it and also thinking about some of the research that's out there that supports some of these uh, concepts and some that isn't out there that we think should be out there and perhaps what we can do about it. So a good place to start is thinking about what is the core and I think this is probably the hardest question of all. Um, it's you ask you know a hundred different practitioners what the core is, and they'll probably come up with a hundred different definitions and anatomical inclusions and exclusions. But usually, when we're thinking about the core, we're thinking about the midsection of the horse, so the trunk, um, the bit that we sit on, the bit in between the front and the hind quarters. In the human, the core is thinking about the bit between the pelvis and the ribs, but this is where we get into a little bit of uh, a dilemma as to what to include and what not to include. So first of all, I think uh, we'd be fairly confident in all of us saying that the abdominal muscles are included in the core or have a role in um, this activation of the, the core muscles and core stability. So if we think about the anatomy of the abdominal muscles, we've got four layers of muscles, which are the same as in humans. We have a, a deeper layer, which will have uh, fibers that in a horse run uh, vertically. So they run from the spine around to the midpoint of the tummy. And they actually, uh, it's a sort of thin sheet, it's called transversus abdominis. In the human, obviously that wraps around and those fibers are laid horizontally, but in the horse they're gonna be vertical because of our uh, different uh, orientation of the spine. And that that uh, sort of muscle sheet is quite fine. Um, there's not a huge amount of depth to it. And actually, there's only sort of one part of it that we can really think that we can have any access to it in the live horse, which is just in front of the point of the hip. Uh, but yes, yeah, so transversus abdominis um, is the deepest layer. And then we've got two layers of the abdominal oblique muscles. We have the internal obliques and the external obliques. Now these, uh, you know, the name gives it away, obliques, they run diagonally. So they, uh, the internal and the external obliques run uh, perpendicular to each other, so at 90 degrees, and those fibres will then assist in the rotation of the body of the trunk. Um, and we can see the external obliques as they attach onto the ribs as they've come off the, so the thoracolumbar fascia and where the point of the hip is, the tubercoxy, and they run down around the, uh, what would be in us, the lower ribs, but the caudal ribs in the horse and run down to meet the midsection of the horse. So running from the sternum and all the way up to the pelvis is the six pack muscle in the human, which actually technically has got eight parts to it. But uh, we always talk about humans getting a six pack and that muscle, the rectus abdominis runs uh, directly underneath the midline of the horse and the fibers run front to back. So in the person, we talk about getting a six pack. So we train that muscle and it bulks up. But because of the fascial restrictions and the pockets of the muscle fiber areas, that's why you get it sort of bulking up that hypertrophy in those sort of square blocks or sort of rectangular blocks. Uh, and then you get that uh, if 
well, if you don't have uh, superficial fat covering it, obviously I'm sure we have all got six packs. Um, mine is certainly hidden. Um, but uh, yeah, so those, those um, it's the same in the horse. But we've got to think about the differences between the orientation of the spine of the horse and the human. So in the horse, the spine is horizontal. Underneath the spine, we have the huge mass of the gastrointestinal tract. We've also got the weight of the lungs and the heart and all the other organs inside there. So the abdominals are part of the uh, structures that hold up those abdominals. So the rectus abdominis isn't the same as it is in us. Um, it is more fibrous and thicker and stronger, so it doesn't lengthen quite so much. And you see that in a broodmare that has a foal. In a human, obviously the, the babies come out, um, come out, the baby, uh, a pregnant woman has a bump that comes and um, protrudes out in front of them quite a lot. In the horse, yes, we get lowering of that abdomen, but actually you see it more as a lateral spread. And that will be because the, the sort of abdominals have to maintain some integrity to support those abdominal contents, so not just the pregnancy. And I was having a conversation with a, a physio recently about this when they were talking about trying to sort of restore the, the shape of the abdomen post-folding. And um, yeah, we were talking about the fact that the, the spread is more lateral than it is going ventral. Uh, in mares uh, rather that have had multiple pregnancies, then obviously the integrity of the, the fascia within the rectus abdominis does get stretched and lengthened. Uh, and then you will get, you know, more of of a shape change but it would not serve the horse very well at all uh, if they weren't able to keep some of that tension in the rectus abdominis and when I mean tension I'm talking about passive tension because of the fascia within it because it does need to hold those abdominal contents as I said. So we've got our four layers of our abdominal muscles. So what else might we consider as included in the core? Well, in the human, we talk about the sort of top of the canister being our diaphragm. So in the horse, that would be sort of in the sort of head towards the head area, so cranial to the abdomen. Um, we don't know a huge amount about the diaphragm in the horse, but again, we have to think about the differences between humans and horses. We know when the horse is galloping, the piston action of the abdomen and the lungs will create a reciprocal breathing um, so that we get the matching inhalation with the stride and the uh, hind legs going into retraction. And then as everything shoots forward, then we get exhalation. So... I think uh, it's safe to say that we can't instruct the horse to um, <laughs> to switch on its diaphragm through voluntary action like we can in the human. So uh, in the human, we can talk about asking our patients in a Pilates class to breathe wide. So use the bucket handle of the rib motion um, or thinking about if we were trying to do the Valsalva movement to, to create a really strong abdomen if we were lifting something. So we think about bearing down, uh, we can track that diaphragm down. But in the horse, we can't do that. Um, but is there a change in the diaphragm during training? Um, well, it is a muscle, so it will adapt. Um, but whether it adapts to 
and I use um, a little sort of quote marks here, core stability training, uh, that much, you know, we don't know. And then thinking about the other end of the core, when we think about humans, we think about our pelvic floor. We've got the ability to selectively recruit and switch on our pelvic floor to lift it up. Um, if you've been in, if you've had children, um, you may have been instructed about pelvic floor exercises, but also in Pilates and yoga, we think about um, lifting that pelvic floor. So in the horse, can we do that? Well, no, we can't selectively recruit the pelvic floor. Uh, and also because of its orientation and its location of it it's going to have a, a different um, role I think. If we think about other muscles we've got back muscles as well we've got the main prime movers of the back we've got the longissimus dorsi to the side of that we've got iliocostalis and then deep to that we've also got multifidus and multifidus is a muscle that's talked about a lot uh, and certainly in relation to the core but the multifidus is not just in that um, core area. The multifidus does uh, have presence in the thoracic and in the cervical region. And also it does, uh, it, though it changes its name, but it, it is present around the sacrum as well and the caudal vertebrae as the sacrocordalis dorsalis. Uh, so what else have we got? So those uh, those muscles are the apaxial muscles that sit above the spine. And then below the spine, we've also got um, this muscle called iliopsoas. So iliopsoas is a, a really interesting muscle. Iliopsoas is actually not a single muscle, I should correct myself there. It is actually made up of psoas major, psoas minor and iliacus. And they sit close up underneath the spine. And on dissection, we see that the actual front portion, the cranial attachment of iliopsoas does travel forward into the thoracic region. And then it attaches uh, down onto the femur. And then we've got Eliacus, which sits on the underside of the ileal wing that also then attaches onto the femur. So this then raises the question because we've got now muscles that extend beyond that sort of th uh, thoracolumbar and lumbar spine. We've got muscles that extend into the uh, pelvis and into the sacrum area. So if we're thinking about those muscles of the core, then in the horse, should we include gluteus medius? So this muscle, also known as the middle gluteal, is different in its arrangement than it is in the human because what we have in the human is the upper attachment of it sits around the iliac crest, so it stays in the pelvic region. But in the horse, the iliac crest is actually concave and the muscle fibres of the gluteus medius travel across the lumbar sacral junction and travel forwards and attach onto the thoracolumbar fascia. So this muscle will have a direct action on the back of the horse as it uh, contracts and relaxes through the stride. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So that's, you know, something to think about. So we've got those apaxial muscles. We've also then got iliopsoas that sits underneath the spine. And then lower and ventral, we've got the abdominal muscles. So we can think about the abdominal muscles as a sling traveling around from the spine and underneath. And we think about that spine tightening and contracting. And then if we go back to our bow and string theory of how the, the spine is supported, if we contract that abdominal, those abdominals through that sling action, it will then have an effect on the spine. We can't, though, think about the spine and the core, those core muscles in isolation, because we've got to also think about the thoracic sling and what happens in the forehand. And even the muscles that underlie the spine as they travel from the thoracic going forward into the cervical area. So, for example, longus coli sits underneath the spine and that is responsible for lifting that thoracolumbar junction and uh, creating extension in the lower cervical region as it contracts. So this is why it's so difficult to pin down exactly what we mean when we talk about the core because of the actual connection between the muscles of the back region uh, forwards into the neck and um, before that the thoracic sling and how the foreleg attaches onto the side of the rib cage and then behind the the area that we sit we've got the lumbar sacral junction and the, the sort of complexities of muscles around the pelvis around the sacroiliac region and then further back and into the hat into to the um, into the pelvis so we can't directly translate what we know from humans into horses as well because of the change of the orientation and also the the you know the change in the function of those muscles so that is you know a really interesting point to me so if anybody talks about core in isolation I would want to know you know exactly what they were thinking of when they said that which muscles they're involved in Okay, so that's talking about the core. But what about this term stability? Um, when, when I trained, uh, I've been qualified for quite a while now, we were just entering that era of getting very excited about stability, thinking about um, stability to do with trying to control these micro shear forces that happen in between the vertebrae that were supposedly responsible for dysfunction in the spine. Um, we would have pathology in the in between the vertebrae that would then create multifidus atrophy that would then feed forward to allowing more uh, of this micro movement, these shearing forces, which would then cause more pathology. So it was quite interesting that the early studies in humans really dove into that in great depth and they were quite um, reductionist in their view. And there was, you know, a seminal paper that suggested that transversus abdominis needed to be contracted before doing any other exercise. So we spent a lot of time having people lying on the bed, teaching them how to switch on transversus in their pelvic floor before they were allowed to move their arms, for instance. Now, our knowledge and our research has moved on and uh, we have got research using EMG, which measures muscle activity, that shows actually there's far, far better ways of recruiting the abdominal muscles in the per in a human. Um, basic strength exercises, you know, your three major squats, deadlifts and 
uh, presses, bench presses, actually switch on the abdominal muscles. And when they have done studies where they've compared those low load Pilates stability exercises with strengthening exercises, your more sort of traditional strengthening exercises that you would think of in the gym, there isn't a huge amount of difference in terms of management of pain um, and function in humans, which I think is really interesting. But this idea of stability is if we expand it to uh, move away from the sort of very small amount of micro um, movement between the vertebrae and we think actually as stability as more about control of movement, uh, this idea that you can't shoot a cannon from a canoe and having the, the, the actual foundation of our bodies being able to resist forces applied against it then I think we're on to a bit more of the truth of what we're trying to achieve with our horse training and to resist forces we have to think about strength as well um, and it's a very difficult proposition when we talk about strength because we can't measure absolute strength in horses this is this is one of the main limitations to all the research I do we can't measure our maximally, maximal voluntary uh, contraction. We can measure muscle activity relative to rest or relative to uh, a sort of a fixed level of activity. But actually, in truth, using EMG on horses is exceptionally tricky. The, the point that I want to also raise is that we know that as we increase speed, the stiffness of the spine increases. So when a horse is walking, that's when they have the most amount of lateral flexion and rotation. So we see that, we see the barrel of the horse move. So as, say, the right hind steps forward, the ribs move to the left, and then as the left hind steps forward, the ribs move to the right. And that is, um, you know, at low load, there's low muscle activation, um, it's partially energy saving, and also when we think about our horses, uh, sort of historically, all they were doing in walk would be just uh, grazing and moving slowly so they didn't need to protect themselves from you know that swing of the abdomen but as we go up in speed what we need to do is we need to be able to have the force from the hindquarters actually uh, be able to be transmitted through the spine to the forehand to allow that forward locomotion and therefore what we have is we have a, a contraction of the muscles around the back so there's ones that I was talking about before the longissimus um, the iliopsoas will be working to help swing the hip forward swing the hind leg forward sorry at the hip uh, we'll have abdominal muscle recruitment uh, and that reduces the amount of movement in the spine as we go up through trot and then into canter and gallop we end up having more flexion and extension and that is useful to allow an increased stride length so that you can increase speed but what happens is the amount of movement in the spine actually reduces so stiffness um when we when we think about our perhaps our terminology and our directives for dressage we want suppleness and we want them moving over the back and they've got to be through but actually what we need to be able to generate the quality of movement we need the spine to stiffen now it doesn't become rigid 
um, and we don't want a rigid spine. Um, well, we also want to allow enough movement um, of the spine for the hind legs to uh, move as well. So it's it's a fine balance between rigidity and um, having a spine that isn't able to generate strength and therefore support itself. But what I say about a stiff spine is that we can have a stiff spine in a posture that might be compromising the, the horse's uh, back health. So if the horse is stiffening the spine into extension, then that is going to be somewhat concerning. But if we can have enough strength and enough control of movement to lift the back, then what we can do is we could have the spine stiffening in a flexed position. And I think that's very easy to see in a horse that is carrying out a canter pirouette correctly. If you look at the area behind the saddle, it should be slightly rounded and the hindquarters should be tucked and sat. Uh, and then that spine is stiff and it is lifted. And that's really what we want. And that's, that's the sort of only not the only, but one of the key factors for core stability training in terms of being able to influence the posture of the thoracolumbar spine. So when we're training for back health and we're training for core stability, what we want to see is there is an appropriate control of the movement in each of the gates. And as I said, you know, the, the control of the movement is wanting to be, especially if it's a riding horse, in a lifted, a slightly flexed position. Um, and we also want to be able to maintain that throughout different um, paces within gates and between gates and obviously through the transitions which is the holy grail of training I think to say if we're wanting to improve our ridden horses so then just a quick word about the research. So I'm sure you are all familiar about the research about multifidus. So we know that that changes when we do dynamic mobilization exercises. So our carrot flexes. Um, we are also um, knowledgeable in the fact that with increasing speed, we get increasing activation of the back muscles and the abdominal muscles uh, and also the hindquarter muscles. Um, we've got those from the EMG studies. We've also got um, research into changes of posture with different training aids, um, but we don't actually have, you know, the missing links in the chain to do with what happens with strength, what happens with stability or movement control, and then its effect on back pain. So there are gaps in our knowledge that, you know, we, we, we in the industry, I say the royal we, not just me, but people involved in research are all trying to, you know, to fill, to actually understand. And it goes beyond just the back as well. It, it's related to uh, the, the research into lameness and to movement asymmetry because we know that when a horse is lame it's more likely to have back pain than not and also we know that uh, lameness changes the dynamics of the horse's spine as well. So um, I think there's a whole host of people that are trying to answer some of these questions but in the meantime I think we can um, be you know a little bit questioning when we talk about core stability. What do we actually mean? Which muscles are we referring to and why? Uh, and then also have this um, understanding that yeah we want some stiffness we want control of movement um, and you know the finer stability in between those vertebrae um, we want to control but actually if we can get strength through that area a, a sort of a, um, 
that will be changed as well. So uh, we 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 haven't got measurement of those micro movements, the shear forces between the facets, for instance, uh, during motion. But what we do know is if we uh, increase the the strength and the the movement control around there, then that is going to have a beneficial effect on the health of the spine. So I, I hope that sort of makes you think a little bit. Um, it's uh, using science to understand some of the the uh, hypotheses out there to walk towards how the horse's spine moves. And we've done our best to translate some of the evidence from humans. Um, but, you know, that's a little bit of an imperfect science as well because we are different. So we just need to keep asking these questions and then seeing what we can do to answer them. So thank you very much for listening. And as ever, if you've got any questions, then uh, please do send them my way and then we can start a discussion about it. Okay, thanks very much. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.